Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm speaking with Kimberly Growler, the Director of Research at Chainalysis. She has a Master's of Public Administration from the London School of Economics and Political Science and a Master's of Political Theory from Oxford. In this episode, we discuss how she got into the crypto space, how Chainalysis is using data to inform policy, consumers, and provide research. And finally, we take a deep dive into her 2022 crypto crime report to discuss the industry and how consumers can better protect themselves from fraud with well-informed information. I learned a ton in this episode and really was inspired by the opportunity available for data professionals to enter the crypto space. Enjoy. Kim, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. I have been looking forward to this discussion so much because I've been reading your crime report and I was like, I'm never going to have enough time for all the questions I have in this. I think it's over a hundred page document. So really looking forward to chatting with you and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks for having thanks for having me. It is far too much content, uh, 130 pages, actually, I believe. So a lot of content to go over. And thanks for having me. Yes, well, we will definitely link the white paper for people, because um, I'm sure we won't get through everything page by page. But more importantly, we want to learn more about you and how you got started in the blockchain and crypto space. I have been at my current company, Chainalysis, for a very long time in crypto years, since uh, uh, my next anniversary will be five years. And I joined when we were far smaller than we are today as a person who was going to try to create this research engine for Chainalysis that would seek to educate people on how much crime is happening, how much market activity is happening, how are people using cryptocurrency and whatnot. The founders of my company realized very early on, and this is total props to them, that that this would be a beneficial undertaking for our company to release these reports to the public for free of charge because the industry is desperate for quality information about what is happening with cryptocurrency regulators need it and whatnot. But um, so that's kind of why I joined the company because it was so exciting to, to be able to, to be a part of something like that. I came to, I came to this company from working for the New York City government, um, the mayor's office, the New York City Economic Development Corporation before I was there for a few years and had just always had an interest in cryptocurrency uh, predating even that just from my from my school days um, uh, where I wrote I wrote a game theory paper on cryptocurrency adoption and that just kind of like stuck with me. And so when I um, ran into our founder and we had this conversation, it just was a natural next step. Okay, so five years in this space, no offense, but you're kind of a dinosaur in the crypto space, right? I mean, what is the average tenure you see with people either in the space or like getting into the space? Is it the normal job wrecks we see where like you're coming out of school and they ask for three years of experience for an entry level position or what, what is the current kind of job wrecks for someone in this space? 
it's changing so fast that uh, especially as things become a little bit more mainstream and the talent that we're acquiring now is the talent pool is huge now. Whereas uh, over the years, you know, obviously the talent pool is growing of people who are, we're potentially hiring from and it really depends on the job. There's some, there's some where having a cryptocurrency background is really important and where, or having some sort of, of crypto nexus in what you've been thinking and doing is really important just because it's, it's, it can be a steep learning curve and it shows that you have that curiosity around the industry already, but it's definitely not a prerequisite. We hire people who have have not had any crypto background. Maybe they're just out of school in engineering or in data science or economics and are are curious about new things. I think showing that you have a curiosity or a natural inclination towards uh, questioning things is, is probably the most important thing because you go down many rabbit holes in this industry. So I think that there isn't a set background if we required you have three years of cryptocurrency experience it would just not be there's not there's not very many people who have that all at this point and so depending on the job description it really it really does depend but it's funny you say that i'm a dinosaur because when i joined chainalysis i felt i was late to the game i was like well i'll just jump on late to this bandwagon um and but now you could have never imagined the industry evolving in, in the way that it has in the past five years to a point where where we have a lot of people from um, private sector, from government kind of rotate going through the rotating doors into our into our company. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I really admire is just your forward thinking on what was needed in terms of proposing like this research arm. And I see a lot of us waiting for permission for the job opportunity to be created first, but it sounds like you were the one who came and said like, no, I have this idea to build this research and this is needed and we need to have more education in this space. What gave you either the tenacity and like the courage to stand up and be like, this is needed. I can do it. I can create this because it's really admirable. Oh, well, thanks for saying that. That's really cool. To, that's really cool to hear. It did feel like very, um, it wasn't, it, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, And at the time it did, it, it wasn't totally obvious that, that this was just how much the industry needed this data. I, we all had a, a idea that it was important and we decided let's take a gamble. Let's, let's invest in this. Let's do it right. And let's research because at that point we were thinking that research had all these downstream impact effects, like it would improve our data because we would find errors in the, or not errors, but we would find like interesting things to investigate in the data. And uh, so we had the space to do this. And I think that what allowed for it to happen was our founders really valued research for research's sake. They didn't kind of, they allowed for it to really organically grow, which allowed for myself to to do what needed to be done in order to build it to the point that it is today. Whereas, so they really created an environment that was, a, that was really beneficial for something to organically grow into what it needed to be. 
and extremely open-minded, extremely forward-thinking. And so all of these things kind of came together in a really um, serendipitous way that to, you know, we had a, a team of people who are extremely ambitious, very data-oriented, passionate about cryptocurrency in this environment to solve a problem that the industry really needed, which is that there needs to be research. And so all these things came together to kind of create this um, situation where our research arm could grow so well. And, you know, I do credit the, the, the leadership at our company for creating that um, environment for, for that to grow. But I also think that, um, I think that back then it, it was, there was no data about cryptocurrency. So we would just put out a blog on the, what's happening with Bitcoin cash miners and it would blow up because everyone was dying to have this data and there was no data source. So we were kind of also kind of validated throughout as the, so we would put out a, I remember our first blog on lost Bitcoins. I was like, maybe this is kind of interesting. And I worked with a journalist and we put out an estimate and then it just was met with a huge amount of, um, of excitement and people were really excited. And so we had all these signposts throughout in addition to knowing to kind of following our intuitions that we were kind of heading in the right direction. No, that's fantastic because on this, show we talk a lot about how to have a data-driven organization it really starts at the leadership and it sounds like you have that support of like hey we need more data on this we need to dive into the analysis we may be a little scared about what it says but we're going to dive in anyways and then you need people like you who are willing to stand up and say i can do it i'll lead this charge and take this initiative on so we can guess a little bit about what chain analysis does by the name, which I think is, is a fantastic name. But besides chain analysis. Research, <laughs> chain analysis. <laughs> but besides its name, would you mind sharing a little bit more about what the organization is all about? Chain analysis is the blockchain data platform. And it's it is utilized, this data platform is utilized in as many ways as any data platform is used, is utilized. So there's, we sell this data to our customers who are in different verticals, government, commercial, financial institutions, cryptocurrency businesses, regulators, law enforcement. And they use that, and then also research increasingly academic partnerships, increasingly inter working with international organizations and regulators. But we package that data differently depending on the needs of the customer. So our core product is an investigative product where if you, are a, if you want to engage in the cryptocurrency ecosystem, you, um, you need to, you can't just rely on kind of these block explorers that where this if we recall cryptocurrency is based on public a uh, publicly available transparent blockchain but it's basically unreadable in its raw format so if you're investigating maybe a crime if you're law enforcement you're investigating a crime you need to make sense of that of that blockchain and so what we do at chainalysis and what allows us to create this data platform is we associate addresses, cryptocurrency addresses, with services and the names. And, and so, you know, a handful of addresses that, that are, you don't know who they belong to, we would be able to tell you, hey, that belongs to Exchange X or Exchange Y. And then, we, and then if you're law enforcement, 
you can if you have a address that you know is belonging to a criminal because you're running in a you're running maybe a money laundering investigation you see that they have a cryptocurrency wallet then you can use our system to see hey where what, what did they do with their cryptocurrency and we also uh, we also identify illicit activity darknet marketplaces fraud shops ransomware addresses hacked funds sanctioned addresses all scams all of the types of crime that happen we also work to identify those services. And so then we will, um, if you're an investigator, you can use this to kind of create an investigation around a particular actor. If you're a service and you need to, you want to onboard many people into the cryptocurrency industry, you need to make sure you're not facilitating terrorism. And so, or, or all these other hosts of, of compliance obligations. And our software allows people to accept and onboard new customers who into cryptocurrency while ma- while ensuring that they're remaining compliant. And then, of course, my favorite thing of all of this is not at all re- <laughs> related to the product, but the research that we can do with this data set. So we're sitting on this compliance product, but we're also sitting on an amazing amount of data, that uh, the best data in the industry, which will allow us to put out, uh, to create a better understanding of how um, how cryptocurrency actors are evolving over time. Yes, and what's so great is anyone can go to your website and download these reports. It is such a rich resource for people. I Not only are you providing service for people, but if they want to educate themselves on what's happening in the industry, I highly recommend everybody go check out the website, download some of the reports. And speaking of reports, I just finished reading your most recent crypto crime report, and it was fascinating to me to not have the awareness of everything that was happening in this industry. So I'd love to dive in a little bit more there. And just one, first of all, one of the stats I read that there's about 25 billion held in crypto from illegal sources. And this last year, 14 billion um, was from illicited addresses. That seems like quite a bit. I think the good news is that, and you had mentioned this in the report, is the legitimate transactions are outpacing the criminal act transactions, which is fantastic. And the overall growth of the industry is continuing to grow. There are about 15.8 trillion transactions in crypto this last year, but we're still seeing like a heavy percentage in criminal activity. Like, do you have a hypothesis for why you think this is? And is it different from traditional fiat markets or is it about the same percentage? So about, yeah, less than 1% is associated with um, illicit wallets using cryptocurrency. So it's $14 billion in total. And that is something that, that, you know, is it a lot? Is it not a lot? It, it kind of like depends on, on, how do you interpret a number kind of just floating in a vacuum? So let's compare. I think the the first great context number is that fourteen billion dollars equals one less than one percent of the entire industry. So that means ninety nine percent of all activity is is um, is legitimate. But the most interesting kind of subtext of all of this is you actually can't figure out what percentage of global GDP is associated with crim- crime. You can't, there's no way to do that. And I can log into 
you know, my, my databases and figure out how much, how much cryptocurrency is associated with crime really quickly in real time. If you asked me today, how many transactions were associated with illicit wallets, I could just in 10 minutes, probably, okay, 20 minutes, get back to you (laughs) with that number. And it's all kind of in our central platform. That is, sometimes I think that this is kind of lost on people, how powerful that is, because we put out all these reports and people just kind of read the high level numbers and take for granted that, um, and, and it's hard to explicitly realize that you can't, there's no, there's no equivalent crime report using dollars. There are estimates that between three and 5% of GDP are associated with money laundering. But when I tried to dig into those numbers and I talked to the people who put them out, the assessment was that this is a guess based on some of the biggest cases and then kind of trying to make assumptions about how many cases we work a year. Let's try and put, say, hey, you know, there's no, this is an, basically that's all, the three to 5% is an estimate and it's not based in, in real numbers. And ours are kind of the baseline. This is the real amount of activity happening. And so that is, I think, the most interesting thing about all of this is is just how easy it is to see how much crime is happening and then people can kind of crowdsource their information through our data platform share insights on investigations block ransomware addresses from getting cashed out triage situations internationally that are um, kind of unfolding in real time just today we had a nft crime unfold so someone was someone was um there was a hack of 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 someone's wallet as a CEO of a cryptocurrency company and they were, they were hacked and we're all monitoring what's happening with, with the funds right now. And they stole NFTs and they're trying to sell the NFTs and we're kind of, we're able to kind of monitor this in real time. So that's kind of one of the cooler things about the report. No, this is fascinating. And I'm so happy that you bring awareness to what's different between tracing crime and cryptocurrencies versus like fiat currencies. Cause I was trying to look for a number to compare it to, and I couldn't find anything to compare to what you've done in the crime report. And that's because it doesn't exist and we can't trace it. And that is so much value, not only to actually measure it and to quantify it and what you can do with a record and transaction from crypto, but just as you mentioned with the use case right now and NFTs, not only were you able to identify a hack, but now you're getting to see where the funds are going, which I'm assuming provides a higher likelihood of recovering some of those funds once crime does happen. Yeah, um, fund recovery is a really, really key part of this whole thing. We've seen seizures of assets and funds returned to the people who, we see people basically being made whole again. And you know, I don't know how often it actually happens in practice. You do hear some really big success stories. We saw the Bitfinex seizure a few weeks ago of the billions of dollars that was seized by law enforcement. And we've seen it happen with ransomware. Uh, we've seen NFT platforms are able to actually freeze accounts so that if you are identified as being hacked, you can't actually move the funds around. So I think the consumer protection angle is a, is a really big part of this. And and how we can use these industry solutions to to protect consumers from being taken advantage of, being um, the victims of ransomware or hacks or fraud or scams. Um, another really interesting thing that Luno is doing is they're prevent they're not 
they're alerting you on if your Luno is one of the biggest South African exchanges. They're alerting you if you try to remove money from the platform and send it to a known scam. Hey, the you just tried to send fifty dollars to this Ponzi scheme that Chainalysis has identified because we have people. All they do all day is look for scams work with governments, work with law enforcement, identify the, so, so we have, we have this great data set and we can tell you, did you know that that's a scam? Because our invest investigations show that it's a scam. And then do you still want to send it? Hey, and then at that point, if you still want to send that's on you, but at least you've been notified and it's been extremely successful in reducing the amount of scamming activity. So for people who get caught up in some of these headlines and I'm glad you mentioned it. I think, you know, I even read one, I think it was in the daily brew about the 25 billion being held in illegal sources from crypto. And, you know, every day there's this multi-number billion (laughs) thrown out, but how do you provide context to it and not get caught up in the headlines to understand like what's the actual percentage point? And is this something larger in the crypto space or how does that compare to traditional finance industry like how do you become a good consumer of information especially in the crypto space when a lot of it is kind of clickbait it's so funny i got asked that question yesterday too um and it's a it's a it's a good question um i think that i think that distilling the research down into a single headline is horrible but also extremely useful because it forces you to to get the get the nail the takeaway what is the takeaway and so it can be useful but it it when you're circulating research to throughout the media sometimes things can get taken out of context or the wrong takeaway gets gets highlighted quite a bit some you see different numbers floating around all the time the best thing you can do is just is just kind of read media with a critical eye um and know what the trusted sources are and you know every time we work with the media we have people we point people back to our blog we do webinars we we really our we put out reports and i like i tend to lead with the methodology in the caveat section. So just because I, if our geography data is a good example of this, where it's, it's one of the few estimates that we put out that is based on an estimate. It's not based on real, it's not based on this is how much data is happening at the country level. It's our estimates. And so I will, if I ever give that out, I'll spend, uh, I'll be sure to spend quite a bit of time talking about the caveats and the methodology, what we're doing how to interpret this, in what context should you be using this. Uh, but, but you know, there, there still is this fight for getting the, getting the buzzy headline. I think that's just a part of, like, our culture now and how, we, how information gets translated. I hope that people – you're one of the first people I've talked to who's like, I read your crime report. <laughs> so I was so happy to hear that. Most people are like, I, I have your crime report. I'm going to read it. Or I saw – a blog about the crime report and it's downloaded. So the fact that you read it is huge because it's 130 pages, but um, that really definitely is, is one of the best things that you can do is engage with the material and educate yourself. The last thing I'll say on this topic is we are in kind of a funky phase of crypto understanding where it's become mainstream 
but people are still learning the tools of of these basic concepts. So I don't see this being as as that kind of collective knowledge progresses. I don't see this being a huge problem. I mean, it will it will remain a problem, but it will become less of a detrimental problem because our collective understanding of of how to interpret cryptocurrency data will will evolve over time. But we're all essentially since we're kind of in this year where cryptocurrency is now mainstream, but it's it's built on a kind of n- n- amount of education that needs to be improved. That is that is kind of being reflected in in the types of research that's being circulated by the media. Yes, and I'm not gonna lie, your crime report was a big motivation for me to get an iPad because I started downloading all these reports. I was like, I do not want to read them on my computer and I can't print them off. So I really appreciate it now because it's probably been one of the best things I've done. So highly recommend people find a digital device to read some of these. It'll be really helpful. In addition, what is the best way for people to protect themselves, not only from just an awareness of the industry and getting past the headlines and looking deeper into the research that's been done, but just if they're new to entering the crypto space and they're a bit nervous about potentially being taken advantage of, do you have any tips for them on just how to be aware and conscious consumers and investors? People engaging with cryptocurrency, um, let's say they want to invest in a platform, uh, a new DeFi platform. Their biggest concern should be scamming and hacking. If you're in a DeFi platform, I don't think you have to be that concerned about some of the other types of crime. Um, you do, you sh- actually retracting that, you do have to be careful about about you know maybe downloading malware or something at all times, but your biggest concerns are going to be um, scamming and hacking, and it's a good question because it's there isn't a silver bullet to protect people from from scamming. You can do your due diligence and you can follow kind of SEC guidelines of what to look out for for an investment scam. Is it promising you any percent? for life is, is a big one. Is it, um, is there no information about the founders or the, where it's registered or how they've gone? What's their white paper? Is it just kind of a copy paste of another white paper? What's the social media community kind of look and feel like? Have there been reports on Bitcoin abuse of scamming activity associated with this? But that does require quite a bit of, of due diligence, but you know, the, the internet is your friend here in finding out if something is a scam. And so, so basic due diligence always helps. Sometimes you are hacking was a really big problem in DeFi last year. There were, there was a, there was, I don't know, I want to say over a thousand percent increase in the amount of funds hacked was no, it wasn't a thousand. It was, there were hundreds of DeFi hacks and which was, which was majorly up from the year before. And a lot of this happened because we're in this this low, this growing space of DeFi. There's all this opportunity for getting yield. There's all these investment opportunities and you don't want to miss out. And so you're willing to kind of invest in a ton of random 
uh, not random, but a ton of different DeFi protocols that maybe you heard of through a friend of a friend, but you didn't do your due diligence, but you're investing in hundreds. You don't really have time to do your due diligence. And so it's, it's kind of baked into people's strategies that they might be investing into a platform that is vulnerable or, or, or a hack or could be hacked. And I think that people who are using this kind of strategy don't, they, they don't want to be hacked, but it's they know that it can be risky. So risk is baked in already with the with the maybe the price of the assets gonna gonna tank. Maybe the it's gonna, so risk is already really baked into people's awareness when they're investing into into these protocols. But there are if you are can really just concerned in this one platform, I want to invest. I want to generate yield. You can um, see if the in, if the company has gone through a code audit. Uh, Usually I would defer to going to kind of the bigger, more established um, ones that have not been hacked before. But some of these long-tailed new DeFi protocols, I think that the people investing in them, um, unless you're really doing your due diligence, I think there's kind of a shared understanding that, that it can be a little bit risky. All that being said, I don't think this is going to last that much longer. Uh, the, the All the risks associated with DeFi for the industry to grow, I think we have to kind of grow out of this. The, we're in a a phase of growing pains where where we're trying to figure out you know what's what's a good business what's not what's a scam what's not kind of similar to the ICO bubble do you see regulation coming into the space here soon and do you have any input on that and did you ever advise for government especially given the type of data you have access to and information you have access to it's a, it's a really good question, and we have an entire policy team that is specifically trying to figure out our policy recommendations, how we can you know, advocate for what policies we think are should be adopted. I think the number one thing that comes out of our policy team is like, let's just get some coherent, uh, straightforward policies on the books so that people can understand how to engage in cryptocurrency. I don't really know what that would look like exactly because I'm not a policy expert, but I do know that the data component is helpful. And that's kind of how I play my little part is uh, making sure that regulators, policymakers, the, the Senate banking testimony that happened uh, last week is a great example of that in action. Um, I don't know if you saw, but our co-founder testified in front of the Senate banking um, committee and all they did through, throughout all of it was reference data. How much crime is happening? How do you, what's your recourse? Where are people using cryptocurrencies? And that's a good kind of foundation upon which you can build your po the policies that are necessary be because they're based in data. This is so exciting. You are talking our language here at Women in Data and on the Data Bytes podcast. <laughs> it's all based on data. We wanna make more data-driven decisions. And most of all, I am just excited from what you've shared today that we have this opportunity to use data like never before. Now that is on chain and there's a record of it. And I think there is a big need for more people to come in this space to be able to use this data. So for those who are interested in this space and have a data career or experience in data science, ML or research, what advice do you have them to 
add in that additional layer of crypto and blockchain space and use their analysis skills in this space? How did they get started? I think the good news about cryptocurrency is that it's it's never too late. Um, I every every at least once a year, definitely probably probably at least once a month, there's kind of a new trend that you're kind of starting from scratch on. You're like, okay, now I got to learn about this. And I think a great example of that is we were all, we were all just minding our own business last year when all of a sudden NFTs, NFTs knocked on everyone's door and we all had to learn how that happened, how that worked. And we all had to, had to figure out how this, how do you analyze NFT flows? How, how do you, how do you determine what market manipulation in, in the NFT space looks like? How, what's the laundering? So, so there's always new, really, really dense fields coming online that just kind of level sets everyone at zero so that we're all kind of starting from, from the same, same playing field. So it's not like crypto is at a point where you just are building on, I mean, we are all building on each other's knowledge, but there's so many opportunities to learn about some new kind of subset of of cryptocurrency that will and and the cool thing is that not not a lot of people actually want to go down those rabbit holes so not a lot of people are like now i see my i am going to be the dow expert if you put in the work to take a niche part of cryptocurrency and just become the expert this is how the contracts work. This is the data that you have. This is these are the different sources. These are the problems with the different sources. And if you go through that effort to become kind of a master in one of these subdomains, things are just automatically going to 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 come from that. Because there aren't a lot of people who there's a lot of people with broad knowledge, but there's not a lot of people who are just really really technically deep within some of these subdomains. So from there, you know, then you might you might want to start at a startup who is specializing in that in that subdomain that you've become an expert in, and then um, depending on how well that startup does, you can you have at least gotten your your foot in the door. So there's so many opportunities in cryptocurrency. If you do want to go to a more established company, then I think it I think that I think that the similar a similar kind of logic follows. Um, where even companies like Chainalysis, which where we're huge right now, we're pretty we're pretty well established. We love having people with with domain domain knowledge in fields that are new because we I personally don't have the ability to become an expert in all these new things. So if you're coming to us with with a really strong foundation in crypto knowledge um, in a certain one of these new fields, you know that's. that's a, a company would be remiss not to kind of gobble you up. I love it. So find your subdomain, dive in, become an expert, and start to put your name out there and connect with the right people because they are ready and wanting you. There are people who get on our radar just from their Twitter feeds. So if there's a hack and they do their own they have their own take. Um, we do a lot of open source research. It's it's not if you, you know, obviously you ha can't just do any take, you have to have something to contribute that's new. But we're always looking to some of these, to some people who are putting out new information on, on Reddit and Twitter and, and the like to, to help us in how we understand the industry. So yeah, basically, I think that's a, that's a good, 
a good starting point. I love it. Well, Kim, this has been so much fun. I have learned a ton. I think if you're ready, we're good to transition into the rapid fire questions. Okay, cool. Let's do it. All right. So favorite song you currently have on repeat? Oh, gosh, that one from uh, Labyrinth Euphoria. Uh, it's called Still Don't Know My Name. I That's been on my train ride from D.C. to New York. I listened to that probably 10 times. <laughs> I love it. It's very relevant right now. I know you just yeah. came off of a train to do this. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of travel, I'm guessing it's not your trip just to D.C., but favorite place you have traveled? Uh. I think Oaxaca, Mexico is my favorite place. Was it the food that got you or what was it? It was the just the the city it was so was so uh, exciting. There was so much good food and art and um, just it was just a very alive city that to just walk through the streets and stumble upon new things and it was warm which i love too <laughs> yes mm-hmm. all right happiness is okay i'll do something cheesy you gave me i i'm obsessed with the ocean so i will say happiness is anything kind of beach or ocean related i hope these aren't getting harder for you but in the next five years <laughs> I hope to. And I feel like this is really hard in the crypto space. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so in the next five years, I hope to. Yeah. What do you hope to do? Um, That's a good question. I should probably start thinking about that since I have not. Um, in the next five years, I, I hope to still be at Chainalysis leading a big research team with great um, – with – you know, I hope that we can continue to grow and because I think there's so much potential for if we do this right, what our research team could be just like a world renowned research institute or hub that is filled with cryptocurrency experts that is that is referenced all around the world. I mean, that's kind of my pipe dream right now. We've worked we have the we have the makings for it. I just would hope that, you know, and then we have a palace, too, that we can all hang out at with you know (laughs) like some sort of cryptocurrency palace and you know we all have an with a private beach and okay now i'm going now i'm going too far (laughs) covering it full circle your song from lambeth repeats yeah the song from lambeth is just always playing and we're just like we do a daily crime report that's 130 pages. So. I can see it. I can see it. I love it. Yeah. For not giving it much thought, I feel like you have a really good vision of the next five years. It's like very specific. I'm... Maybe we're all on horses riding through some sort of weird digital landscape. Anyway, okay. Sorry, moving on. I double dipped on that joke. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. I love it. I am ready to enter your world in the next five years. It sounds fantastic, so sign me up. Okay. okay, last but not least question. To me, curiosity is? Curiosity is um, engagement and excitement. I love it. Well, thank you, thank you, Kim. I am so excited to continue to read your reports. 
to someday hope to travel to your wonder world of research <laughs> and excitement in the next five years and really watch you build a world-renowned research center in this space. I think it is so exciting, very much needed, and you are providing such fantastic resources to the community. So thank you so much for your work and taking the time to share your insights with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome to chat and um, yeah, thank you. Well, stay curious and keep learning, everybody, and we will see you next time. Thanks. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.